gave me the uh um, he's, he's just yeah, like yeah. go as fast as you can and get <laughs> get finished as quickly as possible <laughs> because you don't know when there's a program coming oh my God. <laughs> so you don't want to let your guard down for maximum two minutes i'm stephen lack i endorse this message i was like thanks dad i'm eight <laughs> i don't i don't know what most What's of the words you're saying yeah. are yeah exactly i wanted to start before we start taping like the proper episode people keep asking me they're like what's your patreon yeah, waste your money on something else yeah, yeah seriously. <laughs> exactly my, my patreon is scientology give to that yeah donate your money to them <laughs> they're hurting for it one of the yachts has a toilet backup <laughs> <laughs> we need a new cat of nine tails for this <laughs> discipline exactly. camp yeah their their re-education facilities need an upgrade it's just not they're just not brainwashing people the way they used to <laughs> yeah it's just, really hard with the internet make, yeah, right. <laughs> I remember when they used to have a presence before they blew up, uh, they had a presence in Times Square and they would like, mm. uh, people would, they would be, you know, stacks of Dianetics. And I should have taken one. I was like, really, I wanted to like steer as far clearer than as possible <laughs> in high school. I but like now I would have been like, yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> they, but they don't give it away for free. That's, that's the oh, whole they thing. Don't? No. Oh, okay. All right. They're like the only religion that you don't get free literature <laughs> well, from. Harry Krishna's too. yeah the Harry Krishna's too oh God. wait yeah they like they like, they, they like go up to you they hand you like some like weird illustrated I don't even know what <laughs> I want to say Bhagavad Gita but probably no, not it's not it's even probably it's not it's <laughs> probably not legit Steve Guru Brad's <laughs> miscellaneous ramblings so offensive you guys oh this sutra against the Harry Jonathan yeah Yo, whatever. Yeah, whatever. People have a right to live? join a pyramid scheme that just is trying to sell literature. I don't know. For me, man, ISKCON crosses over <laughs> into, <laughs> into fraud. Yeah. I like yeah. I don't But don't most uh, religions I, like, no, well, let's be honest. Uh, yes. <laughs> I've never been hassled by a Shinto person. I'm just saying. Like mm. they've never been like, Have you heard about the spirits of the rocks? <laughs> It's true. They don't proselytize. Mm. No, yeah. that's why it's probably the best religion. The more pros- I think there's a correlation between the more proselytizing they are, the kind of worse the religion. Yeah, the more, the more which is they fuck. What's it? I think you have it backwards though. It's like the more shitty a religion, the more they're into proselytizing. Yeah, why is that? They, they have to distract people from mystery. all the children they're molesting. I know. <laughs> like we got exactly. some bad stuff going on, so we're going to really lean into this. <laughs> it's like, yeah. we're going to make a lot of noise with the mitzvah tank so you don't know what happens inside. <laughs> <laughs> I should yeah. probably cut that. Yeah, cut that. Yeah. Um, actually, but I think our, Leave everything no, else you know, our, our listeners should be you aware want, you, of you, the time that you made a Harry Christmas. <laughs> cry which was amazing he didn't cry he was like what the fuck man he got upset <laughs> what'd you say all i said was like um he wanted he was he, this is the same story he wanted he was like offering me a book i was like hey thank i was like oh thanks man well they give it to you they, they put give it, it in your you. hand they put, yeah oh god it's like the worst. yeah that's this is so crummy <laughs> <laughs> they come up to you on the street and they're like hey man here's a free book they you don't just, say free. I don't think they... Here's a book. Here's yeah. a book. Here's Check a book. Out this You're interested book. in this book. Yeah, it's like some guy, and I think he started like talking. He's like, you know, I was like, you know, when I was your age, he was like four years older. We were like 15. This guy's 19. Obviously, dude, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, he's great. He's a real He's adult. like, you know, I was directionless, and like now I'm like a monk. 
He's like, like he you was like, really I'm a monk. It's like you are, I guess, you are wearing robes. You got a, <laughs> yeah. you got a top knot. Yeah, I'm a monk <laughs> too. I'm a monk of Jordash. <laughs> I'm a Fubu monk. I'm a Jenko jeans yeah, monk. I belong to the People's Temple of UFO. Right, exactly. Those yeah. aren't even pants anymore. <laughs> anyway, you were saying maybe it was Jenkos. Oh, so this guy like he handed me the book, and I was like, uh, thanks. He's like, well, I mean. How about a donation? I'm like, I don't really have that much money. He's like, how much you got? And I was like, ah, I got like three bucks. He's like, yeah, you know, give me, just give me three bucks. I was like, oh, I need that for my pepperoni pizza. He's like, pepperoni? What the? Yeah, pepperoni is <laughs> pepperoni. wrong, man. He's so upset. I was like, oh, uh, oh, yeah, sorry. I mean, yeah. I don't believe in this thing you, you gave me the book for yet. <laughs> right. Handing me the book didn't like... I didn't, didn't change I didn't my experience, life. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't experience enlightenment the moment the book touched my hands. Ah, uh, and speaking of and transition, <laughs> segwayed. Yeah. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host Asher Lack. With me are my co-hosts, the Honorable Sam Lazarus, Yo. Raphael Ruttenberg, ESQ, yeah, whatever, and. Okay. In our fourth chair, the invisible ghost of Dr. Alan Sussman, who is not here today. Alan will be back. <laughs> invisible ghost. Um, and today we're talking about Akira, 1988 anime. Greatest um, piece of cinema in the history of man. Yeah, it's pretty high on the list of like great movies we've had to watch for this show. I think mm. had is a strong yeah. <laughs> word, but we have witnessed for this show. Oh, God, yeah. I was kind of shocked at how much I liked this movie. Why? Wait, is this the first time you've seen it? No, no, no. I Let me tell you, I watched this movie when I was like 10. And then <laughs> Raph and I went to see it in high school Oh yeah, when they re-released it. I think it was like oh, the yeah. 10th anniversary. So it was maybe 1998 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, my parents let me watch this when I was <laughs> 10? I actually have... I, it's funny because I actually have an early experience of this as well. Um, I first became aware of this movie... Um, there was like a Japanese restaurant near where I grew up called Sakura of Japan. It was like the first Japanese restaurant in the neighborhood. I remember my parents ordering a lot of California rolls. It was probably like a very Americanized Japanese mm-hmm. food. The entrance foyer had like stacks of TVs play- all playing the same thing. So uh, I'm like six years old and there's like eight TVs stacked on top of each other playing the climax of this movie. On loop? Where te- not, I don't know on loop, but where Tetsuo basically like turns into an awful, like a giant awful baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a, fluvia, a fluvia monster. And I'm like waiting for dinner. And my memory of this is like no one else seems perturbed by it. I'm just like watching this. I'm like, what You're the like fuck? hallucinating. It's like, yeah. uh, this is scary. Does no one else see this? So Sounds that was intense, the movie. Dude. I remember that. That was the movie. And then we watched it in high school on IMAX. Mm. And someone smoked pot in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> so some part of my body smoked pot. I don't know who was responsible for this. <laughs> Somebody did that to me. <laughs> no comment. Some teen, some teenager did peer pressure. Injected me <laughs> with marijuana. They were going to drive my marijuana injection. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine... How bananas this movie must have looked in 1988, like compared to other animated movies at the time. It's yeah. I'm just remembering now. I wish I'd remember this last night, but there's this movie. I forget the name of it. That this is sort of aesthetically based on. Do you know what I'm talking about? Are you talking about Tetsuo Iron Man? Man? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Um, 
so like this this movie didn't exactly create that aesthetic that you're talking about but but <laughs> it's all over the place i think from akira like not a lot of people have seen tetsuo iron man right yeah well that movie is frightening and we'll probably yeah, do so that on I the show we, we, we <laughs> yeah we've that seen too. that i feel like who were these people in our lives who were like you know what you gotta see is tetsuo iron man <laughs> you, you think you're a fucking hip get ready for this shit <laughs> i think the first time i saw this movie was just on cable which means it was probably pretty heavily edited yeah, a lot, you, a lot you less. You gotta imagine a lot, a lot less teenagers like motorcycle gang <laughs> murdering. Holy shit! Like how fucking hyper violent and insane yeah. are these kids? Yeah, it takes a it takes a page from Clockwork Orange for sure. Yep. Yeah, there's definitely shades of Clockwork Orange. There's shades. Obviously, Blade Runner is like a huge influence on this movie. Yeah, it has the Blade Runner aesthetic. For yeah, sure. it's in the cyberpunk canon. I'd say it's probably one of the big disseminators is that cyberpunk? of cyberpunk. I guess. I don't yeah. really know what cyber. I that. Guess it, yeah, it's like this. Okay. it's like a post-apocalyptic, falling apart but futuristic. It's like like hyper technical, hyper technologically very far forward, but also trashy. Yeah, yeah. like Johnny like Mnemonic. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I haven't seen Johnny Mnemonic. So should we do a plot breakdown first? How do you guys want to play this? Sure. Uh, I guess we have to, huh? Yeah. Oh, before we get there, I just thought it was kind of cool that it happens this year. It does oh, happen in 2019. 2019, baby. Yeah. 2019 is also the year. approximately 31 years after the Third World War, which they actually gave a date. It was like July 19th or something like yeah. that. Yeah. In the beginning. Which was as I was watching it, I was like, oh, that was just a few days ago. Yeah. Like, All right. Break it down. Bur, bur, bur. Okay. So it's... Whatever. 88. In 1988. The movie opens in 88 oh. with an explosion. Basically. The movie opens in 88 with an explosion, right? It's an apocalyptic event. We see a basically a giant mushroom cloud and a blast engulf the city of Tokyo, we assume. Cut to many, many years later, 2019, and we've got a group of biker gang kids. I mean, they're teenagers, right? They're high school kids. They mention it a couple times. Like, there's sort of a subtext that, like, gangs of children are terrorizing people all over the city. It's, like, not just them. Yeah, well, It's just a thing that's happening. They're fighting against their rival gang, the clowns. But my, my assumption was, was that these were the children of adults who died in the apocalypse. Oh, maybe. That was... Oh, yeah, because they're all orphans. Yeah, because yeah, they all grew up in, like, group homes and, and orphanages and stuff. Yeah, they so, live in dormitories. Yeah, they yeah. live in dormitories. So I, I assume that that's what that was about. So, like, we're following this group of... Probably something that didn't need to be explained. I mean, just sorry to direct this. I think that probably something that didn't need to be explained because this is not something that we are used to facing. But, like, they're in in war-torn countries, especially countries that had, you know, big old war crimes done to them. They uh, well, calling Harry, Hiroshima Harry, a war. Harry, huh? Harry Put Truman, dig that guy up and shoot his fucking bones in his face. <laughs> Thank you. Next, Reagan too. Just shoot his bones in the space. Yeah. That'd be funny. Please, be hilarious. <laughs> They're, they're already in space. You know what you should do? You should put it on a capsule. Right? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Basically, it's post-apocalyptic Japan, and we see these gangs of roving motorcycle people. <laughs> these gangs of kids on motorcycles. Motorcycle people. <laughs> well, and so we're introduced to our friendly gang. Do they have a name? I don't know. I don't think so. I feel like for like nerd lore Canada out crew. there. Yeah, Canada yeah. crew. Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tweet, tweeted us dorks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tweeted us Tetsuo. <laughs> <laughs> These scofflaw kids were following around, and I don't the know. Gang leaders, Kaneda, the, and there's 
Tetsuo. The muscle is Yamagata. They yeah. have this this like little ska dude that they hang out with named Kai. I kind of love him. He wears like wingtips and I has a tie. Kai was the love interest name. No, that's K. That's K. Oh. Kai is the friend. Okay. And Tetsuo <laughs> is the sort of runt of their crew. And there's a few other people in their crew that we never really get like introduced to. They have names, but they're not the main members of the of the gang. And so they're having like a chase slash face off with a rival gang called the Clowns. We meet them in their hideout first, and then they all run. But, like, it's clear that they do a lot of speed, and they're just... Uh, Is that clear? Well, yeah, they're buying pills from the guy at the counter, and they're... They call them capsules. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just Tetsuo that buys them, right? Oh, no. That's the first that time we hear about them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, Canada has has a pill on the back of his jacket, that which is, is true. the fucking coolest. Oh, yeah, it's, I want that it's, jacket. It's a dope jacket. I it want is. that jacket so bad. Yeah. I'm sure it's I would truth look like a universally accepted that that jacket is dope. <laughs> I think we'd all look like dickheads in it. I mean, come on, it's a red leather jacket with a pill on the back. Oh, so cool. I think you could have the pill on the back of other things and look like less of a tool. <laughs> yeah, it would depend like on the jacket. Seersucker suit, <laughs> velvet cape with gimp harness. Right, a gimp harness. Your, your Lord humongous Warm, mask. Mormon underwear. Assless chaps. Assless chapas. We meet the gang, and they're. Engaging a rival gang in a street. I don't know. They're just like fighting each other. They're hitting like each other highways. with pipes on highways yeah, like at like 60 motorcycle miles Motorcycle jousting. It's so badass. It's also horrifying. I mean, yeah. it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, everybody died in this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how did nobody go to jail? And the reason nobody went to jail is because at the same time, we're witnessing two other super crazy events, which one is like an incredibly violent protest in the streets. And it's kind of unclear who's protesting over what. They say like anti-government corruption, but it's not. I, yeah, I mean, they sort of, there's, there's civil unrest. There's like, you know, economic failure, which is a, the predicate conditions of, of most revolutions. Yeah, You yeah. do get to see like one scene where the executive council meets and they're clearly all garbage well they're all ancient yeah and they're totally out of touch well so right but in the opening scene we're seeing people they got cooed yeah Yeah. protested against it we're going to talk about it because the The politics i've ever supported really yeah uh the politics of this movie are very questionable yeah i mean yeah okay so yeah i mean there's like there's a good deal of authoritarianism in this movie but Mm -hmm. i'm not sure that it really i'm not sure that there's an editorial stance attached to that no it's totally unexamined no because like the one time I would say, maybe this is an awful thing to say, but the one time where like totalitarian control is morally acceptable to me is in the face of like certain destruction of your whole society, right? Like if the, if Akira is about to sink Japan, you yeah, don't have time to they, deal they with these, these like corrupt these, assholes. But they all fucking this, this fail. Cabal, this cabal yeah, of yeah, idiots like flailing and stumbling yeah, around yeah. while there's like this you know, incomprehensible mortal threat. And you do kind of see that, um, I forget his name, the general is like, actually cares about these individuals and Japan in general. Like he's not trying to grab power. No, I mean, he's, he's somewhat, you know what? He is pretty sympathetic. Yeah. Um, but no, he's not. Yeah, he right. He's not trying to seize power, but he also sort of feels like at some point he talks about, no, Ash was grimacing. No, I'm just thinking about, I'm thinking about the fucking, the relationship of this movie to power is super skeptical. But I don't want to. I don't want to step yeah. on your toes. No, that's no, fine. Because I um, think that the whole movie is sort of a bit of a not parable, but the whole movie is sort of like anyone who's given power invariably becomes fascist and invariably, pretty much uses it to do bad things. 
I mean, that's kind of like mm-hmm. the what the premise underlying, you know, the the catalyst of the, the whole plot, which is that like beings receive power beyond what they know how to do. I mean, like the famous to me that I, I remember this. It's like you know, really stuck with me. Um, is that what happens when you give the an amoeba the power of a human being? Right. Yeah. So you know, that's I guess that's roughly what's happening. Um, I guess uh, the scientist too yeah. is playing that out, right? Like he's he sees some power that he can't not pursue, and then it's really his, the whole movie is really his fault. I I guess I was a little clear on that, so maybe you could help help me out with that. Oh, just well, because the general or whatever is like, you know, don't do this. We can't play with like yeah, this don't guy fuck is too similar to Kira. Did he affirmatively yeah. do anything? Oh yeah, totally. yeah, he totally yeah. does. Well, okay, so so basically, yeah. the third thing that's happening at the beginning, which again, I'd say the opening half an hour of this beyond being probably one of the greatest animes, to me was one of the most tightly structured openings of an action film kind of ever. It's like you have a very clear picture of all of these characters. You have a really clear picture of exactly what they want. And you have an... Except ex- Tetsuo, kind of. Like Are you it, kidding? Tetsuo? Well, no, I mean, it unspools over the mo- over the course of the movie. But at the beginning, he just seems like a petulant child. I guess that's kind of what he is, though. Well, yeah. the, the dynamics of the gang themselves are not, like, super well established. So it kind of just, like, you are... You're given to it. it, it it's the exposed later when they're like, you've, you've always treated me this way. Right, exactly. You've always done this to me. I, I guess I don't really like they don't really show that in the beginning it's sort of like maybe he's a subordinate he's checking out Kanada's bike at the very beginning before they yeah. jump on and start fighting the clowns and Kanada's like you could never drive this bike even if you were on it you wouldn't know what to do with it like oh, you know man. get your own bike dude and Tetsuo has like a sort of goofy yeah. less cool bike so the Tuck third tail and run <laughs> yeah <laughs> he insulted his manhood <laughs> the bike is a flaccid dick <laughs> Straight the to the bike pun. Is a throbbing or hard <laughs> boner. It's great. We're ten and a half minutes into the movie. <laughs> yeah, and there's a, there's, a prote- there's there's civil unrest. There's so, a protest, and also a what? weird gray wrinkly child running <laughs> yeah. around. What's mm-hmm. up with that? Well, so yeah. so while the protests Tell are going on, there's an abduction of this yeah small gray wrinkly child who has the number twenty six tattooed to his hand. And the guy abducting him is clearly part of some kind of anti-government group. He's mm. he's not kidnapping him against his will because the kid obviously wants yeah. to leave. But it's it's no really also unclear. obviously knows him. Yeah, or trusts him. Trusts him. I yeah. don't think they know each other. But but it's but not. He's not acting like he's being abducted. Yeah. So anyway, all three of these crazy things sort of converge at once when the anti-government protesters the police that are breaking up that protest kill the the guy who's abducting the kid and the kid escapes and gets in the way of Tetsuo, the the sort of weakling well, like, member like of the vanishes, motorcycle gang. The kid like vanishes and reappears kind of randomly in the middle of the highway. Yeah, and Tetsuo almost crashes into him and wipes out. But it seems like he's stopped by some sort of psychic force. Yeah, it seems like he's bum, bum, bum. stopped by like a psychic wall. Yeah, essentially, and uh, at some point in the course of that interaction, Canada, the leader of the of the gang, sees a woman who's part of the anti-government group that was attempting to kidnap that or man save, child or save. Uh, yeah, depending. And then they get like arrested, and a bunch of shit happens. There's a grenade. Yeah, they they get arrested. A bunch of craziness happens. Uh, Canada helps to get the anti-government woman free. 
They all kind of escape, but Tetsuo's been taken to a hospital and nobody really knows what's up with him. Then we see Tetsuo in the hospital and he's now had a psychic awakening. And surgery. Yeah, they do some surgery on him. On his brain. Yeah, but the scientist in charge of this project is like, hey, this guy is another Akira. Yeah, it all starts because the scientist recognizes some pattern. He's got that weird instrument that shows the like circular egg yeah, shell. Another, gr- another great very memorable visual from this yeah that. i fucking that's burned into my brain yeah yeah, yeah and the, the music like, that yeah, it yeah, makes like it's like the, this weird yeah. chimey like yeah, boom, yeah. Boom, boom. yeah the like, sort of like children's toy music mm-hmm. like sort of it's kind of atonal i mean the music in this movie is absolutely <laughs> incredible <laughs> unbelievable unbelievable soundtrack lauren said she's like is this where animal collective got their whole thing from because <laughs> it's just like it is just like dissonant and weird but ominous is really fun stuff. Yeah. So what happens from there is, you know, we meet the motorcycle gang. Tetsuo re- escapes the hospital, rejoins the motorcycle gang, but he's kind of fucked up. He steals Canada's bike and then gets beaten down in a fight with clowns and gets retaken to the hospital. And his mental condition gets worse. There's actually a, an interesting moment there where like at the lab or whatever, they're looking at some map and some dot turns blue from green to blue. Oh yeah. Right. Which to me is like, Oh, it's the Akira energy. It's showing up and that's how they find him again. Cause they've lost him. Yeah. Right? And they all keep. And so it becomes clear that, you know, the government group led by this Colonel, uh, has some kind of a project going around some dude named Akira, but we don't really know. We know that he had tremendous power. We know that... We don't actually even really know it's a person until later, I think. It's just they're talking about the power, the the force of Akira or something. Like, I think the first time I watched this, I thought it was like an alien or something, or like a ship or a weapon or something. It's kept pretty ambiguous. I think you're led to believe at some point... God, I'm trying... I can't really get the chronology of this right. At some point, uh, the uh, colonel demands to be taken down to see Akira, and he's taken. Really, another great. Sequence. It's pretty early, yeah. It's pretty early. He's taken down into like deep underneath the Olympic Tokyo Stadium. Olympic Stadium. There's like a whole. They keep it at what is it? Point triple zero five. Kelvin. Yeah. Um, and he's wearing a jacket. What, what's yeah. the? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Nice jacket. White. <laughs> What is, I mean, that's, that's no, at one point cool. he's what's like the, walking the, through and it's like 118. Uh, chem- chemical that the, that liquid was, it gets into the, um, help me out here. I'm flailing. Like help me coldest out. Well, like the fluid, oxygen would be liquid. At yeah, oh yeah. What's the gas with the gas that is, you know, becomes liquid at the coldest temperature. Which one is it? I can't oh, remember. Oh, I, I don't know. I would guess hydrogen, but I only just because it's small. I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Um, maybe but that's really helium, fucking cold. It could be helium, yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that's not like we can produce temperatures like that, but not for like a large object, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So which is why, yeah. and not certainly not for a room. Like, no, I don't think that's a thing, really. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering. Well, was and wondering also, like, that. if you approached the, an area that was that temperature, you would die. I mean, the the, oh, the atmosphere yeah. well, would no, turn that's what I was solid say. around. Like you. at some point, I don't remember him actually walking into the area where it's supposedly just above absolute zero. I remember seeing instruments saying that, but I, it looked to me like that it was referring to like the inside of the containment. Yeah, there's thing. yeah, there's like a containment unit. Yeah, so he wasn't in that temperature, in but 
they do say like as he walks into one of the inner rooms that it's like 180 or 118 kelvin uh, 180 kelvin is like 100 degrees celsius below the temperatures that we live in normally i think wow if, if my math shit. is right which is that's like 200 degrees or whatever it is uh, 180 degrees fahrenheit lower so that's no you wouldn't survive even with a jacket like i don't think i don't think it's possible to survive that temperatures like that without Fuck. like you know a uh like a whatever you call it like a space suit basically really fuzzy warm blanket. yeah <laughs> without being on pcp <laughs> Rubbing hot sauce all over your junk. If you bake <laughs> potatoes and put them in your pocket, <laughs> right, that'll keep you warm. Oh God, yeah. So, yeah that that scene is so good. When you see like the slow elevator descend, mm-hmm. it's like an airplane hangar elevator that's taking the colonel down. And I think the reason that that I th- we think of Akira as being a person is because they refer to him as he in that scene. Maybe they refer to him as it. he in the nursery with the like sort of cadre of little oh, yeah. children That's right. so the the little weird man child who was being abducted in the first scene we get returned to these two other sort of weird mutant children we think he's one of three and then later we find out he's akira's the fourth well akira's more than the fourth i mean they, they yeah. each have there were many more than that they have like uh, tattoos in the 20s on yeah their the hands. fourth the fourth that worked i think is that's what I took away from it. Like the scenes took close to the end of the four of them, like playing around and exploring oh, yeah, their yeah. powers. Like there aren't any others, right? No, that's They would be in that scene. Yeah. 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 So, but we keep getting references to this power. Obviously the encounter with the first wrinkly kid has awoken this power in Tetsuo and we're told, okay, or the surgery has, or the surgery has, but or I don't, both. I don't think it was the surgery. I think that the power was awoken in him by encountering the kid. It's, it's also ambiguous. Like, eventually, we do learn that uh, the destruction of Tokyo, what was shown in the beginning, was in some way affected by Akira. But it's not clear um, if it was that was actually done by interference in Akira. Like, did the did the the people, the scientists studying him, did science come to know evil, like the atomic bomb, and do something to cause this destruction, or was this just like? something that happened and what was the nature of his like his satori or bodhi or whatever it was his enlightenment his awakening um you know in other words was it akira reaching that state that caused the explosion or did something else happen yeah and akira was somehow destroyed in it or like is it complicity or not that's ambiguous that's kept ambiguous i think it's pretty implied that the scientists fucked with him and and kind of increased his power because the scientist cops to it as soon as they're observing Tetsuo. So like pretty early in the movie, he's like, these are Tetsuo's patterns and they show that weird little EKG thing. And then he says, these are Akira's patterns. And we see something that's like massively above where Tetsuo is. Although Tetsuo is doing something kind of interesting. And he says, if we give him the right drugs and we exercise right. him and do all of these things, we can get him up to this massive level of power. And the colonel is like, are you sure that's a good idea? Exactly. And the scientist is like, yeah, I got this shit on lock. Yeah. So, but it's so clear that the doctor is, you're totally right. And I didn't think yeah. about it. They sneak it right by you that mm-hmm. the doctor is pretty much 100%. He is the choke point of this. Like he yeah. could have been like, oh, this guy is fucking up. Put a bullet in his head, which hang on, Sam. Pause the show because I want us to record this moment as the moment when you agreed 
with my fascist <laughs> Einstein Sillard view of like, this guy's got too much power, take him the fuck out. I mean, I think obviously there are no true moral positions to take. I think everything is nuanced. Right. Um, and I think this would be the exception that proves the rule in my mind. Like this kind of situation where you have like moral actors participating in what in other circumstances you would think of as an immoral act at some point you have to do the wrong thing right like we talked about this into the context you'll probably cut this but in the context of capos right we talked about this in a lot of contexts and again let's just give it a little bit more context for our listeners this is the sort of age-old argument between sam and i and it relates and again very much to akira it relates to the fact that i guess you know, Sam and I were talking about Sam's grandfather's work on the hydrogen bomb, which is infinitely interesting. Um, at least it is to me. Yeah. Uh, I don't know a lot about it, but Yeah, I don't I don't think anybody is allowed to know a lot about it, right? But he suggested hydrogen, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, he suggested bomb. Oh, okay. <laughs> They're like, We got this stuff, hydrogen is literally everywhere. He's like, Let's make a bomb. Yeah, totally. That was <laughs> my grandpa. Um yeah. People love bombs. But and, and it'll the, blow up. In <laughs> <laughs> the Einstein Sillard letter, which is the letter that Einstein signed, right? Like, but Einstein later said that was a mistake. Yeah, he right? he said it was one of the greatest regrets of his yeah. life. And to me, which goes to my point, I think. Well, yeah, and and again, so for listeners of the show who haven't heard us talk about this ad infinitum, the Einstein Lazarus conundrum, yeah, <laughs> was that. At some point, they realized that technology for nuclear fission was weaponizable, and Einstein wrote or signed. Hydro- well, right. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Hydrogen fission? No. No. It's uranium fission that, that we're talking about in the context of the atom bomb. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So when, when they realized that this was weaponizable, Einstein wrote or signed a letter to Roosevelt being like, hey, this is happening right now. You know, you might want to follow it up more like the nazis are doing this and they'll get there it is possible we have to beat them to it yeah and he later said that it was one of the greatest regrets of his life largely because oh and i should probably put a correction in here in the godzilla episode i said that the nazis were on the wrong path to the bomb and never would have made it and later i looked into it a little more deeply it's more like they gave up like three weeks into their bomb project so there actually was no uh, atom bomb project in Germany under the Nazis. They were instead just working on rockets to increase the range of their explosives. Which actually was really good for us because right. the guy who designed all those rockets ended up <laughs> getting us here. to the moon. Yeah, and getting but, us to the moon. But if you think about it, like if we hadn't done that, probably the Russians wouldn't have. If we hadn't, uh, you know, pursued the atom bomb, probably the Russians wouldn't have. There would have been no. Uh, bomb you know there would have been no what do they, what do they call that uh, arms race but no chernobyl yeah i mean also we wouldn't have no, nuclear power um but yeah i don't we know good reliable the, coal the point being like that's not <laughs> well to me that's not the same as what we're talking well, about no, because here I, the point of view on it was and again th- it goes back to that sort of famous trope that we talk about a lot on the show of like best friends who become mortal enemies like Magneto and Magneto and Professor X, uh, you know, Dumbledore and Grindelwald. I'm trying to think who else is on that Dee list. Dee and Gogo. Dee Dee and guy. I thought you were going to say Dee Dee and Johnny. <laughs> Dee Dee became you enemies. Used my I heroin. Probably, I think they probably did become enemies. If they were ever best friends, 
everything enemy and friend is interchangeable in the whole <laughs> world i think actually that joey and johnny were yeah, like joey hardcore enemies but anyway i was sort of interested in that like does that really ever happen and then sam and i got in this argument because i was sort of like okay well there's a very clear you know moment that einstein could have been like okay i figured this thing out here are the 25 other people who are capable of figuring this thing out find them and kill them and then boom that information ceases to exist yeah and as i said that's not the same like i'm not saying kill the scientist i'm not saying stop doing research although this scientist could use some killing um <laughs> i was saying like the act of the colonel in taking totalitarian power in the face of immediate danger and the complete failure of the systems that are in place to protect anybody from that danger like that's not the same as saying i mean I, I guess there's a parallel there but um like there were so many other ways to approach the problem of germany i'm i'm, I'm, I'm picking but i don't think that the colonel takes totalitarian power yeah well and, and okay, also but, but di- assumed, by dissolving civilian power, power. Well, not totalitarian yeah okay, well, also okay, fair. there is already a to- sort of a totalitarian state totalitarian uh, there's a totalitarian totally in state (laughs) totally eclipse of the state there's a a toilet state so you know to bring it back and let's kind of try and speed through the plot here because what happens is tetsuo awakens and he starts to develop like a massive amount of power and we learn that his power is commensurate to the power of this person who lived before named akira and we don't quite know what happened to akira we know that akira awoken and awoken and that led to yeah and that Awaked. led to the previous apocalypse that sort of leveled the government and created all these orphans who are these biker gangs and essentially led to the political unrest that we're witnessing. Does that, is that yeah. kind of... And so, I mean, World War Three led to the, the World War Three, right. But which, which we are led to believe culminated or began it was with... was triggered the, by the, the awakening event. of Akira. Yeah, because yeah, nobody knew what or who it was, and so they went to war with each other. Yeah, I'm not fully clear on that. Like, it's one reading would be that um, I think they were a little researching Akira's power as a way to stop the war, and it went wrong, and that ended the war. I think right. it's ambiguous. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that they quite, but I thought that it was the opposite. I thought that they said that after that event, a lot of people attempted to take power, but I might be getting this mixed up with like Mad Max I because think, we I watched that last week. I think it's left open. It's yeah. not entirely clear. It's not entirely clear. And so what we end up seeing is this this heightened escalation between the biker gang trying to now get their friend Tetsuo back or trying to rescue him from this sort of shadowy government organization. Tetsuo having this psychedelic breakdown where he's sort of achieving almost godhood. He's his powers grow and grow and grow and then there's this unbelievable civil unrest in the streets and these three kind of factors push together and push together and push together and our protagonist Kanada who's like a friend of Tetsuo's from when they were orphans presumably from the original awakening of Akira which again we're still not quite sure on uh, I don't think that can be right since 30 years are supposed they're not to have old passed. enough for yeah. that Oh, interesting. Yeah, so we don't quite know what they're orphaned by. Yeah, that's a good point, because they're probably about 15, 16 in this. I mean, orphaned as a result of the state crumbling, maybe. Yeah, Um, but they grew up in an orphanage together, and Tetsuo was always sort of like second fiddle to Kanada and has like a lot of lingering psychological friendy issues. Um, The state essentially 
collapses because they won't act in the face of Tetsuo being this super being. And so the colonel who helped oversee Tetsuo's awakening in the first place now is tasked with, he like dissolves the state to bring down Tetsuo. Mm. And like Kanada is also, he's like been trying to rescue Tetsuo. And then all of a sudden is like, oh no, I have to kill this guy because Tetsuo freaks out and kills another member of their biker gang. There's an interesting parallel between, I mean, this that is like the sort of, and the sh- like this idea of a shadow government and like struggles behind the scenes in the shadow government. Uh, also Evangelion has this too. It's like, there's different factions. Like one of the factions like is like, is, sort of, you know, secretive and trying to pursue these scientific directives that are possibly apocalyptic. But just it's just interesting to me that there's echoes of that in both of them. Like is this this is like there's there are factions working against each other behind the scenes. It isn't a it isn't a monolith. As the story kind of bubbles up into a climax, Tetsuo murders one of his fellow members of the bike gang and Kanada realizes that he has to kill Tetsuo. And they all kind of clash out at the Olympic Stadium at the former site of where, or not the former site, the site where Akira is housed, which is fucking bonkers. So Tetsuo and so gets- this is this is the craziest climax. This mm-hmm. is what I saw in Sakura of Japan at, at seven years old, like the craziest fucking climax in any movie I think I've ever seen, bar none, where he, uh, uh, Tetsuo starts to lose control of his powers and like becomes like physically like lose control of his body and just becomes this seething, ever-expanding mass of like techno guts. It's, just it's like pretty quickly not even techno. Right. Yeah. It's like just it starts guts. out. He like makes an arm for himself with his powers out of wires because he's had his arm blown off. Yeah. In but then fighting with Canada. But then he like loses his shit and suddenly it's interesting. Uh, it reminds me of like I used to read X Men comics and Cable has like this whatever. It's not important the lore, but has a similar situation where like if he uses his powers, his body goes out of control and like. He, you know, he just is like growing cancers everywhere and like getting, you know, and, and new cybernetic limbs and all this bizarro crap. So that 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 concept to me is so cool of like the limits of your your being become soft because yeah. your your power can create anything. So you just he's just unchecked and like bubbling away into new fingers and new stomachs and biceps and tendrils. It's just so fucking yeah, he swallows crazy. up and crushes his love interest. Which like, yeah. holy shit and how did I never realize that she completely dies there? Yeah, like, she totally that, does. I, yeah. yeah, so But I, she's also not his love interest. Throughout the movie he's like totally not into her. It comes yeah, up a lot. True. She's really? into him. Yeah, he keeps like. But then why does he go and pick her, her up? He goes and picks her up and brings her to the Olympic Stadium to show her like how much power he has. I think he's just showing off, and she's like a fangirl, you know. Like he, it's like three or four times she, I in the movie. Thought you went to the stadium and sought him out. Oh, maybe. Yeah, that went, might she, be right. Because she's she obsessed found with him there. So yeah, she's rewarded with her. So Tetsuo goes to the Olympic Stadium, and the reason that the showdown is there is because he reads the minds of one of the other little psychic children and discovers that that's where Akira is. And this is like kind of one of the amazing reveals. I I remember again, when I was 10 being like, Oh, this movie's going to be dope when Akira shows up and, and fights this, this guy who's obviously become a bad guy. Cause 
I mean, yeah. I guess we sort of know Tetsuo is coded as a villain yeah, pretty early on. He's always a little shit. And, Ak- yeah. and Akira has a presence, too, of like this, like you know, benevolence in a yeah. weird way. You mean because of like the cult followers? Yeah, he has. There's like a cult follower of him, but right. no, I think more than that. Every time we see an image of him, it's preceded by like a very benevolent bell ringing. Yeah. There's yeah. there's a very spiritual quality to the way Akira is presented. He has like a beneficent expression on whenever you see him. Yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, the bell. Oh, that's such a good. Yeah. Well, there's there's a ton of traditional Buddhist music in this yeah. movie. Yeah. Which is like used so incredibly well. The chanting. The chanting is so. And the silence too. Mm-hmm. There's the a couple of really heavy scenes where everything just cuts out. Yeah. There's some incredible bells. There's some incredible drums that remind me of. Blade Runner uses it like twice in the opening of the movie, right? right? That like doom, and it's all over this movie. I wrote it down. I was just like, the the music in this movie again is absolutely incredible. Mm. But what ends up happening, and this is where I kind of not lost the plot, but it's like okay, so the colonel dissolves the government. And it's basically open chaos in the streets and everybody is trying to sort of like worship Tetsuo, but they're also terrified of him. They and think he's, he's Akira. They think he's Akira and he's like killing people by like, you know, wrecking. There's a scene where he wrecks this bridge and all these people obviously slide to their deaths, which like, how did I not realize the body count of this movie? Wrinkled babies warned us. Yeah, the wrinkled babies warn us that, will die. that if Tetsuo awakens fully that many people will die. And so what we end up with is the wrinkled babies show up to the Olympic stadium right after Tetsuo goes down into the bowels of the stadium and pulls out the sort of containment womb, unit. Yeah. That Akira is in. And we discover that Akira is dead and that he's well, been dead for a long time. Chopped up and preserved anyway. Well, he's in jars. He's definitely not dead. <sighs> Spoilers. I mean, Spoilers, he's not dead, but he's... It's ambiguous, guys. No, it's not. He shows up. He's in their minds. He transcended. He trans- Yes, he yeah. transcended. He's a, he's a bodhisattva. Right. Yeah. Right. Or whatever and, they call and that. And then so is Tetsuo, I guess, at the end. Oh, yeah. So that's the other thing at the end. It's like how this resolves. It's like um, there's just a th- sort of like a, a, a... Not a throwaway line, but someone says... It's you know this is amazing. It's 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 like they're creating a new universe. Yeah, the scientist says that. The scientist says a lot of obnoxious like scientific. I'm yeah. putting in air quotes shit yeah. that makes yeah. no sense. And that was the I think that was the place where I thought that this movie was like uh, don't don't talk about like opening up whole new branches of physics. And I was like, mm. what are you talking about? I mean, if I saw that kind of shit, I'd be like, oh look, we don't know anything about physics. Yeah, oh, sure. Yes, the way that yes, Tetsuo like, flies. Oh, a whole new, this is just like the beginning of a whole new universe, which I know about somehow. Yeah, exactly. He acted like very knowledgeable about shit that was just incomprehensible. That was sort of the least bad science babble to me. The least bad sci-fi gloss. Really? Actually. Yeah. It's so funny. That one stuck in my cross so bad where I was just like... I thought it was a little trite, honestly. Yeah. But I don't know. Something is happening. It is reaching a climax. They're transcending somehow. I I, I give this movie a pass because it's got it's got so many style points. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's visually, such a great atmosphere. Every shot, such a cool story. That like, if this if there is sci-fi gloss, it's like whatever. Yeah, and every shot is basically like could stand alone as a picture that you have on a T-shirt or a poster. I or, read um, the the director who also did the manga. I guess he was sort of assistant director. 
Yeah. Uh, there was an interview with him I saw. They were talking about why there would never be an Akira 2. And he basically said because he spent too much of Akira 1 correcting the drawings of the people working on the movie because they weren't to his standards because it was his baby. So he just yeah. didn't want to go Looks through that great. process again. Good, good yeah. job, guys. Yeah, exactly. Good job, guy's name. I don't know. Yeah, uh, something. Atomo. Atomo. Right? Yeah. Another, another scene that really st- sticks out to me for some reason, like really, really has just like etched itself in my head, and I'm not sure why, is the scene where the the guy from the the, the little short man from the executive council with the bunny teeth. He's, the bunny he's teeth basically the prime minister. Yeah, and he's like stuffed his suitcase full of money. stock certificates <laughs> yeah. and money, and he's like having a heart attack, and just like the scene where he's like clutching his chest and is like. The money swirls up behind yeah. him in like a, you know, a little little mini cyclone or whatever. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, totally. It's really gorgeous. Yeah, and it's it's after. So you know, this is a little before where we're talking about. It, it was like after the the colonel dissolves the government, like yeah. the prime minister guy tries to escape with a shitload of money and dies in the ensuing riots. Yeah, yeah. that that scene is fucking amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, I just uh, it is a cool scene. I had sort of have trouble like tying that subplot in to the rest of the movie, you know, like the yeah. what the rebellion like what his role is, what this minister's role is. And what their role is and what, what they're, they're rebelling yeah, against. What they're yeah, what they're yeah. looking for, what they want Akira for, what they want the children for. Yeah. Um, but it's like, cool because it's totally irrelevant. Like yeah. it wouldn't add anything to the movie really. Yeah. I, yeah, that was the part of this that I thought kind of made it fall apart a little bit. Oh, yeah? and, and that's why, like, I thought the first half hour of this is so taut, and we have, like, so many kind of perfect hallmarks of, like, this plot point, this plot point. Now we're committed with these characters. These guys want this. These guys want that. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute. What do all these characters want? Like, there's a faction trying to overthrow the government, but it doesn't really, like, what don't they like about it? Now, this guy sees military control, and we're for that. Like, that seems kind of questionable. Mm. And now they're trying to awaken Akira, but now they're trying to stop this guy who is the awakened Akira. Like, I just... But this it, is a really good parallel to Neon Genesis, actually. I think, like, it, because... I was just going to say, like, because the the climax, which is really just the fight between Kaneda and Tetsuo, like, you know, Mecha Tetsuo or whatever the hell is going on, Iron Man. You know, bar- barf Tetsuo. You know? <laughs> yeah. Cronin Tetsuo. animated right. gross. <laughs> That's just so impeccable. Yeah, we, yeah, we lose much. sight of all of that stuff and it doesn't matter to such an extent that the, the end of the movie is Tetsuo transcending to some other level. The little weird psychic dudes come out and they psychically awaken Akira and all of his jars that contain his organs burst and they all evaporate and there's a gigantic explosion, which is mind-blowing because it leaves behind Kanada, Kanada's love interest and their friend in the gang, Kai. And the three of them are like on a destroyed island in the middle of destroyed Neo-Tokyo. Huh. Wait, Kai, Kay, and Kai? Canada are the people that survive. That's right. Basically. The three Ks of anime. Hmm. It's obviously a racist message. Yeah. And the colonel who gets into a tunnel. Oh, yeah. And the colonel who gets into a tunnel as advised by one of the psychic children. Mm -hmm. Asher, it's not an explosion, right? That's why I don't mind that bit of gloss from the scientist. Because what it seemed like to me is... Because they say at one point that the three remaining children... Well, one of them goes in, the youngest. Right. And then the other two... The whatever I think of him as like uh, Louis, not Louis C.K., but Louis Anderson. Oh yeah, 
He's like in a floating. He has yeah. like a, yeah. he doesn't he can't walk, so he's in like a little floating chair. He's like, uh, if we go in, the three of us together can save him, right? So he says, go in. So you don't go into an explosion, right? There's some some um, some transition happening, some new world, some different reality on the other side of that sphere of light, right? And you actually see it happen. It all collapses down. Right? Yeah. And falls that into a point. So like, image. so mm-hmm. to me, that's, you know, they're going into a different space, a different whatever. And dimension is sort of a facile way of see, saying I it. Think, from our, pers- we see the perspective of Tetsuo traversing that. I think. Right, exactly. Yeah, so, kind of like so it's actually the scientist was right. Yeah, he's a, he becomes a yeah. star child. They all do, right? Yeah. They all enter, they cross the veil or whatever into some other world, some other reality where mm-hmm. they are realized. They're with Akira. Yeah, well, right. Akira creates this exit for them and then they go through it. So I think like to return to the concept of what we're talking about, the ideas of power in this movie, I think that the primary thing I take away from this is like, this is one of those movies that it's like, the, it's pushing the message of the ineffable and the mysterious overpowering. It's, you know, in some dystopian sci-fi, you have the tension between the man and the state and that, you know, the state is this, this overarching thing and it is totalitarian and it can like completely overwhelm the individual you have another form of that, which is this like, you know, another level of power, which is that you have this state, which is um, totally overarching, overbearing, dehumanizing, uh, just like it's 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 an, it's a nightmare future. But then you have something beyond our understanding or reckoning um, that is a spiritual power. It is inexplainable. It's, it's mysterious that is greater than the human power. So that's the tension there. And so, like, to me, it feels like this movie is kind of like is playing out that kind of that kind of interplay between these are the structures. I don't even think I wouldn't say that this completely like really editorializes like it is good that there is this um authoritarian state. It is good that there is this coup. I mean, I think we are sort of meant to like sympathize with the colonel and be like, "Oh, it's probably fine that he did this." Mm-hmm. Um because these people yeah. are like little little rats. But it's not it's also not saying like this is this will inevitably be Oh my god. This will inevitably be the like broken conclusion of Japanese, you know, culture. Yeah, no, I mean like it's just like there is there is another level to our world and right. uh be- beyond beyond our imagining. Like there is there is mystery out there. The power in our genes. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> I mean like, you know, the the what is already a part of us collectively or part of the world, the universe at large is greater than than the state. Yeah, I guess I, I totally, I get what you're saying, and I, I agree with you that it's definitely not a man versus state, and it definitely doesn't necessarily take a real coherent view on whether or not the state is good. I guess what was shocking to me was, at the end of the movie, everybody in to- in Neo-Tokyo is dead, right? Like, that's... Not everybody. Which, well, not everybody are... Kanada, no, K no. and Kai are alive. No, it's... Who else? It's so that's what I was saying before. Like the orb, the orb of light, right, is only fucking up things inside it. And then when it collapses, whatever was outside that radius is still Neo Tokyo. Yeah, but the, we see we're literally seeing 
the ruins of that city. Of that area of the city. I yeah. think it's more than that area of the city. I think it's the whole city because we see a zoomed out picture. That was the thing that I never got before when I watched this that sort of this time really disturbed me was I was like, holy shit, these fucking teenagers just like lived through this crazy event and now they're among the dead, dead, dead. Like there are legions of dead out there in all of those ruined apartment buildings in all of those you know, skyscrapers that are now keeling over. Yeah. I I mean, maybe I, I'm missing something, but to me it looked like, like downtown Tokyo is destroyed. But, you know, Tokyo, there's not still the people there, not the suburbs. Japan no. is still there. Yeah, Japan is still there. People have survived. Not to mention, like, we know that some people survived at the epicenter of this event, right? So, yeah, anybody that was in a building that fell over is probably dead, but there's sure to be lots of people left. Well, Fair why enough. Why is that important? Because that doesn't feel important to me. Yeah. I, I guess... It it felt important because I was sort of like the whole time we're listening we're listening to these people talk and like the big thing that you know the psychic children say is is that like well we need to protect human life right like that's and like when you see the people rebelling, and they realize that they couldn't at that point okay fair enough protect a life yeah and like when you see the people rebelling in the streets like they're talking about the dignity of human life and I just I was sort of like this movie basically ends on when people go for power or like the expression of power the end result is always legions of death or that way the way these things play out it's kind of just like it's it's like a it's a flea circus it's immaterial yeah you know just like I would say that that's a viewpoint of this movie is that all these kinds of struggles between you know the power the those of power and those without and the various factions and the various gangs and none of this adds up. None of this adds up to a hill of beans when yeah. you're faced with the uh, destructive power of the unknowable, um, and the, you know the, the the sort of like godlike power. And the, the the tragedy is that it happens twice. Yeah, is that it didn't well, just thrice, happen once? If you count the atom bomb, uh, maybe yeah. yeah. I mean, in the universe of this movie, it happens twice. That's that's the tragedy. Is that it? They, it couldn't be stopped, and it happens again. So, I mean, that's the fear. It's like it's like you are hurtling inevitably towards a future in which the most horrible thing you can imagine happening, which I think for a lot of people, maybe even still, is, you know, an atomic bomb dropped on a city is one of the most horrifying things you could ever imagine. And it happens again. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a, I mean, I, I have trouble talking about this because I don't know a lot about Japanese culture and obviously not from personal experience but I think there's an undercurrent in this movie um, Neon Genesis Godzilla a lot of these movies about like a the inevitability of disaster caused by man's hubris in pursuit of knowledge right for sure and two, the sort of undefeatable resourcefulness of the people left behind like because that's what happened in Japan. It was like this just incomprehensible tragedy, a moment of total death and annihilation. And then all of the media that you get after that, or a lot of it, is concerned with like the shiny rebuilt Japan. The you know the like the way that science can actually it's both our undoing and our savior, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I also wanted to say that there's, you know, you brought it up earlier, Raph, about the the story that the gray girl tells about the amoebas and everything about Mm -hmm. about how this is a natural process. Like we are all moving. We're all moving towards like a higher truth, a better power, a better, 
you know, a pure interface with what is possible. They do. Right? There's a couple lines, like a sort of like poetic throwaway lines, like, or, to, or ambiguous, and there's some ambiguity. It's like, oh, it's already begun. They say that a couple right. times. Yeah, they right. say that, uh, you know, that right. basically like this is hopeful. the next step of evolution. Right. Yeah. And so you guys are talking about how like insignificant we are in the face of the power exhibited in this movie. But another way to think about it is we're powerless in the face of, you know, inevitable transcendence. Like we're moving towards a greater truth, a greater kind of being. And we're going to get there and it's going to suck. Right. <laughs> So to me, that's kind of, and it's the same thing like atomic, the atomic bomb also moved us into a world where we can basically have free power, right? Like a nuclear power plant is as close to free energy as you get short of fusion or like antimatter or something like, or like it's just a slug that sits there and gives you power. So that's like a amazing could have been and, sh- and should be, I think in the future, like a change in the way we look at the world we live in a change in the way that we use the resources of the world we're in and i think that that's kind of partly what this movie is talking about is like we're gonna get there we're gonna get to a place where we all we all have this power we all are tetsuo or akira and right now we're in the growing pains where the movement to that plane of understanding or or existence is destructive because that's but the is history it, is it ultimately a hopeful message or is it a i think i think, so. I think it's like existentialism it's like a hopeful method a hopeful message and also a tragic one you know like we're we're going towards a beautiful future and it's the road there is covered in blood and bones and ash and i think visually it's a pretty hopeful image in that like the the last thing we sort of see is like yeah, exactly. the, the singular so this this giant the thing that sam hesitates to call an explosion sort of becomes a singularity and is right. this beautiful point of light ball. yeah that like falls down through Canada's hands and then he looks up and uh, this again oh god there's a painting in the Met and I can't think of it what the name of it is in the American wing and it's like probably 20s 30s and it's a view of a hillside and you see the sort of shafts of light painting areas of the hillside and other areas are in mm. shadow and and we're left with that image of like you know clouds above the city and there are periodic sort of these shafts of light sort of floating over and it's so gorgeous i mean the animation oh, yeah. in this is yeah there's yeah that that is another fantastic i agree yeah, light breaking through yeah and yeah. it's beautiful Storm and hopeful clearing. that like and you see it as the totally thing- at night too in this show, the movie's almost totally taking place at night. Right. And then we see some daybreak. Yeah, this is some dusk. We're getting some light. Oh, yeah. And right so at good. the end there, that singularity literally sucks up the storm. And and we know that there are survivors. I guess I, I was just sort of like, I thought that the movie took a slightly too callous view on the actual impact of this awakening. Like, we don't really, yeah. it never even shows us a body. It's just sort of like, those people are immaterial to this process. Like... What really matters is like Canada's okay, and I was like, oh, that that felt that rang a little false to me. But don't you feel don't you feel like the anonymity of it is like kind of like even more shocking? Just the fact yeah. of seeing a city obliterated and you can't zoom in to see anything up cl- the up close suffering happening because it's all happening. The entire yeah. city's being wiped out. It takes the tragedy level destruction to such an other level. That it's it, it's it's inhuman to think of it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I was I would say on that grounds, I think that I don't think you need to demonstrate 
Yeah, it's a week. context that we're missing. It's like because we didn't have Nagasaki and Hiroshima in our in our culture. I mean, not directly awesome. in the Thanks, same Sam. way. What fist bump? What's that? Sam for? and I have been agreeing. Yeah, you guys are killing <laughs> it on the agreement. Day. It's because Alan isn't here. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 Alan, we miss you. Yeah, come Alan's on, the, come uh, on the show, Alan. Yeah, come on the show, Alan. He's the, he's the volatile element in this uh, this molecule. I'm learning about science molecules. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I don't sure, know if you guys have heard of molecules. They're basically big atoms. <laughs> sure, yeah. that's that's that. I mean, love uh, them all over the place. Yeah, I got it, five I, of them. Listeners, tweet at Alan. Tell him to come in and continue Raf's science education. Yeah, tell him to be a molecule. <laughs> tell him to not be such a molecule. I guess. I, what I have in my notes here is just like that. This movie is an exploration of like the futility of vying for control. But I guess yeah. that sort of plays into, thing, yeah. yeah, exactly well, what you Sam's guys are saying. Sam's view of hubris, and I think that this, I like Sam's idea that, that like the hubristic nature of man causing incredible destruction. Um, and I, I don't know. I still feel like that I can rest on this idea that there's all we build can be destroyed by things beyond our knowledge, beyond our understanding, and that is a kind of fear unto itself, you know? Yeah. And even by the unforeseen consequences of the actions we take, the science yeah. we yeah, explore. Something that I love that's in the DNA of this movie and in the DNA of so many other sci-fi movies that are classic, 2001, Stalker, Blade Runner, kind of the best science fiction, has a huge aspect of ambiguity baked into the cake, where it's like there is this sort of thread of the ineffable underneath it all where it's like we don't really know where tetsuo goes we don't know what his awakening is about and and what that you know results in the same way that we don't know what happens in the zone or we don't know you know like what happens when the you know dave becomes the star child it's like these are all things that are kind of beyond our comprehension and are presented to us in an incomprehensible way and i thought that this movie was I think it's a great a observation, and I have theories about that that I will save for, for another time. Should we throw it to endorsements? Absolutely. I saw a fantastic movie. It was so good that I texted the whole group about this. It's called Putney Swope. P- oh, yeah. P-U-T-N-E-Y. Oh, I never Swope, clicked that S-W-O-P-E. Link. Full things on YouTube, I think. I actually yeah. haven't downloaded, but I think the full things are on YouTube, which is incredible because this is something else. Like This is like... This being on YouTube is like by itself the hour and a half an antidote to every single like white supremacist like <laughs> vlog on YouTube of which uh, I assure you there are many I get them as recommendations because Everyone I does. like to learn about history so fuck you YouTube right. oh you like this to engage with video content mistake. Yeah. watch this it's like yeah it's I like, think- it's like you you enjoy this documentary about the Carthaginians. Next up, why is the white race dying out? It's like, all right, guys, you Actually, don't you don't know? Like, <laughs> there was just uh, a New York will, Times we story will, on that. Oh god, yeah. we will reclaim Western civilization <laughs> from these fucking dorks. Give me a break, these these losers. Dunces. They haven't these read fucking, a book. It's fucking Ayn Rand reading knob uh, slob you know what i think ayn rand is, is too good for them eating. it's just too kind yeah, they, for them they, they yeah but yeah you're hey all yeah. you guys i know that the the bookmark is on page 16 of atlas shrugged and you gave up you can stop pretending <laughs> um, i didn't think it was possible to revile anyone more than than paul ryan 
Like for me, <laughs> I didn't know that I could Wait, actually you? look at someone and be like, actually, you know what? You're sub Paul Ryan. Like, who are you talking about? I'm talking Ayn about Rand. the the YouTube. No, Paul Ryan sucks Ayn Rand's dick. No, uh, the YouTube schmucks, like the YouTube oh. white supremacists. I oh, would there's say, just like, so many of them. There's thousands, hundreds yeah. of thousands. Undifferentiated, massive losers. You know, and they call us snowflakes. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, it goes back to this central idea. I love Here's that. my endorsement. Snowflakes are beautiful crystals, an individual, and, yeah. uh, and proving, you know, the majesty of physics in the universe. Tori, but I yeah. wanted to give an endorsement that people may not know about. So Putney Swope is basically the idea of this movie, and it will never be done on this pro- on this program for a number of reasons. But the idea, Christmas episode. Yeah, the Christmas. <laughs> April Fool's episode. Um, this is, the idea is that this like, very, very white advertising firm, um, uh, you know, they have uh, an, a democratic election for the chair of their board, and they all like do by secret ballot, and they all wind up voting for the black guy. And he immediately fires every single white person in the company, <laughs> and he turns it into like Truth and Soul Incorporated, and it is just like the most bonkers movie. Like from start to finish, it is so hilariously anti-white in a good way, and it makes it makes J- Django Unchained look like the fucking Cosby's. Like it is, <laughs> it is brutal. It is savage. Um, it is very, very, very funny. What is uh, this from? It's from 1969. They oh. would ne- could never remake this because it is just so so straightforward. I went to the movies yesterday, and like the half an hour of advertisements before the preview started was just like I don't need any more fucking emotional manipulation to get me to buy like your canned beans. Yeah, like it's like family togetherness, belief, America. <laughs> It's just like, fuck you guys. Like, like, if you guys had come on and been like, chainsaws, genocide, canned beans, I'd be like, all right, at least they're being real. Like, I think beans is a funny choice, too. It's like subsistence level food. Yeah. It's like, enjoy <laughs> the only thing you can afford to eat. Yeah. And I that mean, will keep you alive. <laughs> you yeah. will technically not yeah, die. Yeah, yeah like it was more family, like family, country, togetherness, America rations. <laughs> the tagline the only thing you're allowed <laughs> no but if you want to see great commercial parodies just fucking wild you should definitely watch Putney Swope my favorite part of the movie is that the, the president for no explained reason is a German dwarf and he's like he's like he calls up Putney Swope he's like Putney next time I am in your uh, next time I'm in the big city we could go shoot up or something okay <laughs> it's just like fucking <laughs> nonsense dialogue from start to finish is really really good it was written and directed by robert downey senior i'm aware of that yeah which is crazy and he's done a few others i've I've still never seen any of his movies but they're supposed to be all incredible so i gotta watch highly recommend cool sam what do you got really nothing um i have sort of the opposite of an endorsement i can tell you guys what i've been watching lately oh yeah what's that it's really schlocky perhaps you have all learned by now that my favorite thing to watch is Drek. Yeah. Yeah. Star Drek. Yeah. Um, there's a show called Timeless that's streaming on Hulu right now, which is, have you guys seen the ads for this? On Hulu? Wait, was it a, no. did it run for like one season on CBS? It's two seasons. I think it was NBC. Hang on. Yeah. Cause it had a guy that we went to high school with in it. Who's that? Malcolm. I can't remember his last name. Cause we also went to Tish together. He was the lead 
in Midsummer Night's Dream with Ned Vizzini. Oh, I can say cool. his name when we were freshmen in high school. Uh, Malcolm, yeah, he's an incredibly talented actor. He was on like he had a cameo in It's Always Sunny on an episode. He's been like sort of doing it for years. I just saw his okay. ad on the side. I don't of the know bus. who you're talking about. Um, anyway, I'm not sure if we're talking about the same show, but it's uh, really entertaining. It's basically um, X Files with time travel, like monster of the week and each episode as they go to a new time period to stop the evil shadowy conspiracy that's trying to take over time it's really quite good that sounds awesome and by good i mean terrible and by terrible i mean good awesome my endorsement this week is uh big onion tours have you guys heard of this company no what so it's a it's a tour company like a city new york tours but everybody who gives a tour is a phd candidate they only all of their tour guides are PhD candidates or students, um, and in, so in anything in particular, or? in history. Oh, um, it's nice that they can get a little money for food on the side. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, when they like throw off the yoke of like the servitude system that is yeah. higher education, they have their five adjunct classes that pay ten dollars an hour or whatever. Yeah. So Carolyn and I had a house guest this past weekend, and we had one uh, a while ago that we brought on one of these tours we did the five points tour which was really really cool and super informative um and this time we did the gramercy park and union square tour which i didn't know that john steinbeck lived on gramercy park cool cool good for him yeah neighborhood (laughs) did he have Uh, a key he did (laughs) just like the dead z song i don't know stanford white grew up around there i also just like it's pretty incredible the long shadow that tammany hall casts over new york and so, like, every history of New York includes, like, Boss Tweed carpeted his courthouse with more carpet than could cover the entire earth. By the way, Tweed Courthouse has no carpet. The bills were just to the government. <laughs> I'm not doing it right, but you know what I mean. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. the best kind of crime. Sounds yeah. Fun. So, Big Onion Tours, if you're in New York, they're 20 bucks. They're two hours. It's kind of awesome. And Why is it called Big Onion? Because it's got layers, baby. Yeah. Really? Layers and layers. I mean, Is that why? Yeah. It'll make you weep. <laughs> also, just like hearing the, the stories the about like the times when New Yorkers drank from Collect Pond is like oh, horrifying yeah. to me. Yeah, no, I, I remember I remember that from reading uh what you would call it, Gangs of New York. Yeah, it's like the What's filth the, le- the filth level was high. Probably inflated by the like, you know, post Victorian like scaremongering about the poor, but Inflated by the Irish. is a filthy time. Yeah. Good. Great. All right. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Asher Lack. I'm at Asher Lack. I'm also at Asher Lack, <laughs> funnily enough. <laughs> what a coincidence, you, can you guys. follow Alan Sussman at Asher Lack. Um, Sam is at Case of Piles. Raph is at Have a Cool Penis. And Alan is at Highly Affiligent. You can follow the show at Robot House Pod. And it's spelled H-A-U-S. You can find us at uh, at patreon.com slash defund HBS. Kill Harvard. HBS? Harvard Business School? I don't know. Got it. I don't know what that. Until next time, thanks for tuning in, guys. Adios. See ya.